Super Talk Mississippi media production. Did you know Toyota Brookhaven has sold more new vehicles the last two years than any other dealership in southwest Mississippi? Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. And now, it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day so, so much appreciates and enjoys celebrating the people of coastal Mississippi, the leaders, the people who are making this place such a great place to live, work, and play. Have a very, very special guest that we're going to be introducing here in just a second. But I want to, I want to read something to you. On the show yesterday, I talked about my visit over to Ocean Springs Singer River Hospital in Ocean Springs, and um, I met with folks in the ICU and the ER. We talked about it with Stacey Pickering yesterday. Just unbelievably tough situation to watch in the ICU. If you did, if you missed that, 16 ICU rooms, uh, 16 patients in critical condition, all on ventilators. And then, of course, there are you know you, the surgical ICUs the same way. They have people on ventilators down in the ER. It's a, it's unbelievably difficult. And when I posted about, I had I, I posted pictures of Buddy Gazer. Allison Plunk and Candy Riley, some of the heroes on the front line. A, uh, a friend by the name of Kathy Legg posted this, and I just think it's beautiful. And I, I think it's something we ought to all think about. And I think it's actually a great segue into our special guest today. So here's what Kathy said. This be- these beautiful people that remain steadfast under form- formidable circumstances cannot be heralded or compensated enough. Not sure how we will ever adequately merit their sacrifices or show our appreciation for them. They are weary, grief-stricken soldiers deep in the medical trenches day after day facing situations that the rest of us can only imagine. Dedicated to saving lives, they find themselves losing ground and losing hope. Pray as you never have before that God will preserve and protect them and energize them and encourage them as well as the other tragic victims suffering and dying around them. And her note goes on from there, but gosh, was that beautifully said. And then, of course, you know, the outpouring of support for my family with the challenges we had with my granddaughter, Amila continues to do extraordinarily well, and we, we thank God for that. But one of the, one of the things that's such a, a blessing, a foundation for, for the note from Kathy and, and the outpouring of support from listeners and friends about my granddaughter is that it's all sort of uh, grounded in a, war, a warm and important uh, faithful uh, prayer and faithful foundation. I'm I'm Catholic and uh, I'm proud to be, and I, I'm so happy to have that faith to be able to lean on. But uh, but I I can't tell you how important that is to us, and it's just part of the culture here in coastal Mississippi. And with that said, let me let me turn now to a very very special guest who's going to be in town. Actually, he's going to be visiting the coast for the Mississippi Association of Self Insurers. He just wrote a book, a really important book, and he'll be actually doing a book signing on Friday morning in the pass at uh, past books on cat allen coffee but uh but you you know him i don't have to tell you much about him but let me welcome to coast view ken star ken how are you doing buddy i'm doing great ricky thank you so much and we're so happy to hear about uh, your beautiful uh, granddaughter and what a great note from kathy that was so inspiring so thank you again for having me on 
It is. It was good to chat with you uh, while we were uh, while we're waiting for the show to get started. And I told you that your book, Religious Liberty in Crisis, I uh, haven't had the opportunity to read it, but I've read a number of reviews. I have a sense of what the book is about. Uh, the backdrop for what's happening in America certainly certainly led to you, inspired you to write this book. But since you wrote your book, it seems like with each passing day, we get another reminder or, or, about why sort of the core message of your book is so darn important, as you saw how I started this show out. But when you look at the condition with Afghanistan and all the other things that are happening in America today, um, it's a little bit almost like divine intervention that you wrote this book in this moment, isn't it? Well, thank you for saying that, and it certainly is a critical moment uh, for us in American history. And I'm so glad that you lifted up uh, Afghanistan, because uh, our hearts are obviously very heavy in light of the collapse of the government. Uh, perhaps it was expected, but certainly it came as a shock to the American people. And now what we're seeing are reports about terrible, terrible things happening to religious minorities in Afghanistan, including, of course, the Christian community, searching for those on the part of the Taliban that don't adhere to their vision of uh, what we are called to be as human beings uh, and to persecute them. Uh, and the ultimate uh, persecution of taking uh, lives. And who would have thought that in the 21st century? Because in the wake of World War II and the terrible atrocities, of course, in uh, Hitler's uh, regime, uh, the world community came together and uh, led by, among others, Eleanor Roosevelt, articulated a vision of what humanity is at its best in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And one key part of that guaranteed religious freedom to all persons as a basic part of their humanity. So this book is really about human dignity. Part of human dignity is our ability to be who we feel called to be and to respond to the call of faith that is heavy on our hearts. So uh, the book began, and I'll just summarize it this way, during the pandemic, when I saw what was happening during the pandemic here at home, which I realize is, continues to be so very, very uh, concerning with the Delta variant and just the conditions that you described in Kathy's remarkable note and the healthcare providers and so forth. But it was that that it was an impetus for me to do the book, to sit down and start doing the book, because religious liberty was coming under assault right here in America. We could see it. <laughs> we could definitely see it. I mean, have you, could you have ever imagined, maybe you did, that we would hit such a volatile moment where so much division uh, is, is dividing this country. I talk a lot about, I mean, the, the condition that led to this, but you know, one of the th I came from the you know media side and was incredibly involved in the digital media space for for a number of years, and the way that Facebook's algorithms work and the way that um, it, artificial intelligence works, I think uh, when you take this this already perfect storm and then you add social media to it and and you know feeding people's Facebook feeds with so much information that makes it appear that everyone agrees with their divided view. It further divides America. But did you ever imagine that we would have such a perfect storm? 
No, I really did not see the perfect uh, storm uh, coming, but it has hit and it has hit with a vengeance. I think when we look back in time and we're about to mark uh, the 20th anniversary of 9-11, 9-11 was of course a time, terrible, tragic time, a disaster <clears throat> for the American people. Uh, but at the same time, it was a unifying experience. It was uh, a modern day Pearl Harbor that, oh my word, we have work to do. But part of the seeds, I think, of the pressures on religious freedom were planted in the aftermath of 9-11, because after all, those who took so many innocent lives did so in the name of religious faith. And so there was a bit of an outpouring in that first decade of this century of, well, let's take perhaps a second look at faith communities and so forth. And certainly what I think is being lost in this age of polarization, Ricky, is what the churches do. And I'm focusing on the Christian faith, but obviously other faith communities join in as well. And that's what I call and what Harvard's a sociologist calls American grace. The churches do so many important things in their own communities, including around the world. Who was first in the Haitian earthquake, right, to provide uh, comfort and solace? Many times it's churches or parachurch organizations. And so we have tended, I think, to overlook the remarkable and positive things that churches and religious institutions and communities are doing day in and day out, including responding. It's one of the things I note in the book that when COVID hit, some of the volunteers to race to New York, which was so hard hit at the time, were people of faith who said, we want to live out our faith and go do what needs to be done there in Central Park and the other makeshift uh, hospital responsibilities and so to carry out these responsibilities. These are volunteers from around the country and they were motivated by their religious faith. Ken, I often talk about former President H.W. Bush, um, thousand points of light, because here in coastal Mississippi, having been ground zero for the worst natural disaster in American history, <clears throat> Hurricane Katrina, we got to see we got to see the, the role that religion can play. We got to see the importance of volunteers, and oftentimes, oftentimes, it was the faith-based groups from all over the country that were filling those gaps. I, I remember the North Carolina Baptist Men's Group that came down here and built houses for months and months and months. I mean that. That restores, when you have a situation like that, it restores your confidence in how faith brings us together. And we, you know, Baptists and Catholics and Jewish people all working together to, to, to do great things for a community. The, the role that religion plays in our community cannot be underestimated. Uh, but unfortunately, these days, you know, our religious freedoms are something we talk about more often than we, than, than we should be, frankly. But uh, when we come back, I want to get into some more about why that the Constitution, why this whole notion of, of freedom of religion is so important, which is really at the basis of your book. This is Ken Starr. You know him well. Uh, we're honored to have him here on Coast View, and we'll see you after this break. Coast View on Super Talk 103.1 is brought to you by J. Allen Toyota on I-10 Exit 38 Gulfport. See all the incredible inventory at allentoyota.com. And remember, when you think Toyota, think J. Allen Toyota. 
talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I'm so thrilled uh, and honored, frankly, to have Ken Starr. He's uh, he served in so many important roles over his career. Most of us know him well. Um, he couldn't have written religious liberty and crisis at a better moment in our nation's history. And I've really enjoyed visiting with him in between, uh, the, in, in between uh, during the breaks. Uh, so let's just come back to the book. It went out when we sort of, you know, went to, went to break, I mentioned that this whole notion of freedom of religion, the role the constitution plays in sort of preserving these incredibly important enduring values that we hold as Americans. But boy, it's important, isn't it? Absolutely. In fact, to the founding generation, there is something imperfect about the Constitution, and that is where are the rights that we enjoy uh, by virtue of what the Declaration of Independence uh, put so uh, eloquently uh, by our Creator, that we're endowed by our Creator with these inalienable rights, and among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And to the founding generation, religious liberty was right up there at the tippy top. When you look at the First Amendment, we should all have those First Amendment uh, rights very firmly in mind. What is the very first right? Well, it's freedom of religion, the freedom to be ensuring that the government is not taking control of religion, the non-establishment of religion, then that which has become very controversial now, and I talk about this at length in the book, and that's freedom of conscience, the free exercise of religion. And one of the things that I'm saying in the book is that whatever may be happening in the culture, the Supreme Court of the United States over these past 40 years has really rallied to the cause of freedom of conscience, free exercise of religion, keeping the government out of religious and ecclesiastical uh, matters in a very admirable way. Sometimes the court, of course, famously is divided. Think of the Mississippi abortion case that's headed up to the Supreme Court as that now there will be argued in the fall. We don't expect a unanimous decision in that sensitive area. In contrast, in the religious freedom area, the court is frequently unanimous. And one of the things I want this book to be is a tool for every American who cares about our culture of freedom to be informed about what these great principles are that affect all of us, regardless of our membership or non-membership in a faith community. And so one of the principles that I've set out it's the very first one I articulate, is the principle of religious autonomy. That is to say, the government cannot be on the backs of religious, including church schools, Christian schools, Jewish schools, and the like. They have the right to hire and, frankly, to fire teachers and those who are involved in inculcating and transmitting the faith. That's just an illustration of what the book is all about, written 170 pages for lay people, for grandparents to read to their children, parents to read to their children, and for us all to really celebrate America's culture of freedom. As you talk, I can't help but think about um, all of my kids went to a Catholic school, and uh, my grandkids now do that as well. And my daughter is a teacher, sixth grade teacher. 
and uh, she's a religion teacher on top of other, you know, teaching other subjects as well. But uh, it, within that within that framework, this whole notion of freedom of religion, as you as you just so well put it, it's so darn important. Uh, this, you know, I want to explore because there's so many aspects to your book. We probably should have penciled out an hour, but you were going to be in town, and I wanted to make sure we got some time for you before before your visit here in the next day or so. But what's what's again? There's so many different aspects to this. But one thing that you talked about is is this freedom of consciousness. That is a big deal right now. We're, America, independent thinking and consciousness is we're under attack. And uh, you know, cancel culture seems to be this kind of thing that everybody wants to lock onto. But underneath it, though, underneath it, the the, the principles that are driving it creates tremendous concern. And you actually spent a whole chapter talking about that. So from, from your point of view, talk about that. Right. And let's use, since you uh, mentioned uh, Catholic schools, let's talk about uh, a particular case that illustrates this freedom of conscience. So to, we are, we're conscious people. That's part of our humanity. It separates us uh, out from other uh, uh, avenues. We are unique. We have individual human dignity. And part of that is to have conscience. This is what is right. This is what is wrong. And so I want to follow that. And the example that uh, I think is so powerful comes out of the Catholic community out of Philadelphia. And once again, the Supreme Court here was unanimous in saying the Catholic social services in Philadelphia, it's a matter of the conscience of this group, did not have to provide uh, placement services for these precious foster children uh, with non-traditional families. The court was unanimous in concluding that. I think people were expecting the court would be deeply divided because of the culture wars and so forth. Another example that the court vindicated the freedom of conscience was, and it's very controversial, not everybody's going to agree with what the Supreme Court did, but the Supreme Court struck a really powerful blow in favor of freedom of conscience of a baker, a design baker, not just baking cakes, but using his artistry as an artist to, in fact, create special custom cakes to celebrate special occasions. And this baker named Jack Phillips in suburban Denver, Colorado, was unwilling as a matter of conscience to design a cake to honor a same-sex wedding. Now, same-sex weddings are permissible under our constitution, but he could not, given his religious views, honor that. He would sell. He did not discriminate on the basis of the status of individuals, which said, I'm sorry, I cannot bake that cake. It goes all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States, which vindicates his freedom of conscience. That wasn't unanimous, but it was seven to two in Jack Phillips's favor. And these are very important principles to protect that which has been so important throughout American history, and that is our ability to come to a set of views and to follow those views, even when they may be controversial. What is interesting is that the the whole notion of the council culture these days manifests itself and by using Twitter and other social media mechanisms to literally cancel people who 
have a point of view about something. Now, some some of those, you know, they probably they they said something that probably deserves probably some pretty serious blowback. But that's not always the case. And um, and we, we this, these are things we should be really concerned about, should, shouldn't we? This is uh, very important to who we are and who we will be uh, in the generations uh, to come. But right here and now. And the cancel culture is a very powerful indicator of the conversation that is underway, the debate that's underway. We have historically had a system that believes in freedom of expression and that if you disagree with someone with that person's views, then you disagree, but you protect that person's right to articulate that view. The cancel culture, of course, says, no, if I disagree with your view, I don't want you to articulate it. In fact, it's dangerous for you to express that view. And so we have had an erosion, Ricky, as you have seen, and you're expressing it well, of the culture of freedom, that freedom is the baseline here in the United States, the land of the free. And what this book is designed to do is to really re-articulate this founding vision of liberty is the baseline, including religious liberty, which lies at the heart of so much of who we are as a free people. Hey, I want to make sure, because we, we don't have a ton of time left, I want to make sure we cover one really important thing that you mentioned. It really kind of comes back to sort of the practical aspect of your book. So you're a lawyer, you're a former judge. We all know you uh, in the impeachment proceedings around President um, Clinton. You, um, you're a former U.S. Uh, Solicitor General. When someone thinks that Ken Starr wrote a book about religious freedom, they would expect it to be sort of you know, an institutional book that would be in a Harvard classroom or whatever. You made a really big point to say, that you made it. You, you, it's a very practical written book that any that that anyone can read. It's not. This is not just for the the thinkers in America. This is for anyone who wants to be, focus and be able to understand why this is an important conversation as it relates to our religious freedom. That was a real big goal of yours, wasn't it? It was completely the vision that guided me. My editors uh, helped to make sure that this was accessible to people, frankly, with a high school education. And indeed, I had in my mind's eye, who are you writing this for? I mentioned grandparents and parents, but I was also writing it for high school kids. I think junior high kids, middle school kids can understand this as well. I did not want to write a book for lawyers and judges. I hope that they will use it, read it, but it really was for we the people. We the people, and this is very consistent with the vision years ago of Hugo Black, uh, the Supreme Court Justice from yesteryear, who said, Things that we do here at the Supreme Court should be written so that they can be accessible to people in the barbershop or the beauty shop, <laughs> the, using the terms of old. And that's what I wanted. I wanted a Hugo Black type product that people could say, I'm going to read a chapter. And, you know, I know people, families are reading it aloud over the supper table, maybe after dessert. But th that's the idea, to make these principles of liberty accessible, understandable, so that we can also engage in reasoned debate when, let's say, you're up against the cancel culture. And you will have arguments as an mm -hmm. American loves freedom to say, well, the, here, there's another side to this. And in fact, I read a book that talks about the unanimous Supreme Court upholding the right of Catholic social services to follow their conscience as an organization. 
We're coming to the end of our time together, Ken, but uh, have you been to the Mississippi Gulf Coast before? I have, yes. No, we <clears throat> we love the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and we're the <clears throat> uh, friends and guests of uh, Jenny and Kent uh, Nico, who are well known to the Gulf Coast uh, community. They're very dear friends, yes. uh, and so we look forward to the return visit. Yeah, they're they're terrific, Kent. Uh, as you know, uh, in fact, he leads the hospital where my grandchild uh, was was uh, admitted, and. Uh, he, he and his team did a terrific job of taking care of her. But uh, you're going to be at the bow. We, you know, it's going to be beautiful weather. We hope. I think it's going to be raining a little bit. But enjoy your stay here. And listen, I look forward to chatting with you again in the future. Thank you, Ricky. Appreciate your time. You bet. This has been Ken Starr. We'll see you right after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. A Supertalk Mississippi media production.